that love that will never need to hide Love will always rise above Now we're one with the sun over our heads And at night we'll be the stars Just be with me Just be with me Just be with me Hello, hello, how we doing? Good? Yes, yes, good to see you, Parkview crew. So glad you're here this weekend, everybody around Orland, uh, everybody out at New Linux, hello to you. Homer Glenn, hello, good day. And of course, everybody online, I know we have people online who are all over the country, maybe vacationing, things like that. Uh, it's the middle of summertime, summer of Parkview. Glad you're here, and it's gonna be a really, really good day of study today as we jump in to uh, a, a really interesting section of the Bible, and I'm going to be able to have some of our team from around all of our campuses at Parkview uh, be a part of this, and it's going to be a great, great study today that I think we can take into our week and our lives. To get us all headed in, in the same direction today, let me ask you this question. Have you ever played that game called I Doubt It? You ever played I Doubt It? Now, it has all kinds of different names, right? People call I Doubt It different things, but I, I choose to call it I Doubt It because of where we are, and this is the better name for it. Uh, but the easiest way to play I Doubt It is to think of a couple of things about yourself, uh, maybe two things about yourself. One of these things is true. One of these things is false. And then people just, they try and guess which one is false, and they say, I Doubt It. I doubt that's you, right? So this, you can, this, is just, this is free. This is all free. This is, you can do this right this week if you want. You can play I doubt it right now. Uh, so this is, this is I doubt. Let me get us going in the right direction here. Here's a few things about me. And you should know these things, by the way, because I've shared these things in messages. So this will, if you've been listening the last bit, you should know these things. So here's the first thing about me, and I doubt it, okay? Ready for this? I spent three weeks in language school in Antigua, Guatemala, or and or I speak Spanish fluently. So these things about me, now which one is the false, which one is the I doubt it? What do you, what do you think? Just tell, say it, say your neighbor, whatever. <clears throat> this, is, this is the I doubt it right here, right? I did spend three weeks in language school, but I would need about three months in language school if I'm going to be fluent in Spanish. So that's the one I doubt. I don't speak Spanish fluently. Uh, what, what about this one? I had an opportunity to play professional baseball coming out of college. Or I have over a quarter million baseball cards. <laughs> True or false? Which one? Is, I, I doubt that. I don't know, man. That could be, you know, you kind of look like a base. But I don't, here, here's one. Got it again? Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Erase, erase. That one's actually true. This is the I doubt it, right? This is, this is the I doubt it. I, I did not have any kind of opportunity to play baseball coming out of college. I do have baseball cards all over our garage. My wife loves it, Okay. Here, here's the last one. Here's the last one about me. You got to think really good about this one. I have been a follower of Jesus for over 35 years. B, I have never had any doubts about Jesus. Which one do you think? Which one do you think? All around? Yep, a lot, a lot of folks all around town, all around the campuses. This, this, this is it. This is the one you have to say, I doubt it, that I've never had any doubts about Jesus, right? I mean, sometimes I think this. I think sometimes because of my occupation, and a lot of times the word pastor precedes my name. A lot of times people think because of that, I never have any doubts 
about faith, about God, about the Bible, about Jesus. I had a friend say to me, it's, it's been several months ago now, I had a friend say to me, we're in a conversation, and, and this friend said, man, I, I wish I had faith like you, but I'm full of doubts. And I understand the statement. I understand the heart of what they were trying to say to me, but it's a misguided statement. Because it makes it seem like that if you have faith in your life, that you have absolutely no doubts in your life about any of those things. And the fact that I exhibit some faith in my life must mean that I don't have any doubts in my life. And what my friend did not understand is that I as a person, just like probably so many of you, carry around a lot of faith and some doubts in different seasons of my life. And that faith and doubts sometimes can travel together. And indeed, doubts crash into all of our lives uninvited a lot of times. And the big question for us is this. The question is not, will you have doubts? The question is, what do you do with your doubts? Because what you do with your doubts makes all the difference in the world. Today we're going to jump into a study in the Bible in Matthew chapter 11 and Mark chapter 6. If you have a Bible or a smartphone or a tablet with you today, Matthew 11, Mark 6. It's a really unique event in the Bible where you have this person who spent a lot of time with Jesus and was really close to Jesus and had great faith in Jesus, but also came into a season where he doubted maybe if Jesus was really the one that we should be looking for. And it's a really interesting dialogue, and there's a lot we can learn for our lives or for our kids or for our grandkids and people that we're walking towards Jesus with. So that's what we're going to dive into today. I'm going to invite on all of our campuses some of our team members to come out and to share and dive us into this text in Matthew 11 and Mark 6. When they come out on all of our campuses, Orland, Homer Glen, New Lenox, when they come out to share, I want you to just, I want you to love them like you have never loved, okay? I want you to cheer them, thank them. They put in a lot of work and study. It's going to be a great day. So here we go. Good morning, Parkview. Thank you. Wow, I didn't expect that. Good morning. My name is Beth Fallone. I am a pastor here and also the director of Parkview Kids. So if we don't know each other, it's because I'm usually back in the Parkview Kids area where, if you didn't know, that's where all the magic in the church happens. I mean, it's also where there are poopy diapers, crying toddlers, and really stinky fourth and fifth grade boys. But to me, it is the very, very best part of our church. So we're going to start out this morning with a little trivia. I have a picture of someone, and I want you to shout it out if you know who he is. Do you guys know who he is? George Foreman, not Mike Tyson. He's got his ear, right? George Foreman, he was a professional boxer, and he also had that grill. You know that George Foreman grill that you'd put on your counter, and you'd throw some meat in there, and then all the gross fat would drip out, sometimes so much that it would be all over your counter? Well, anyway, you're probably thinking, what are you talking about George Foreman for? But he reminds me of someone from the Bible. 
you're probably like, what does the boxing grill guy have to do with the Bible? But hang with me, because you're going to see in just a few minutes. Let's jump in. Like Todd said, we're going to be in Mark 11 and Matthew 11 and Mark chapter 6. But I want to set up this story for you before we jump in. These chapters happen during the time of King Herod, and if you don't know King Herod, I'll just tell you he was insane, like nuts. I'll give you a couple of examples. First of all, you all know the sweet Christmas story, right? Baby Jesus, born in a manger, there was animals and a star and wise men and gifts, but do you know the part about King Herod? King Herod ordered all the babies in Bethlehem to be killed, just so baby Jesus would not grow up to be king. I mean, the man sent soldiers in to kill babies, but parents, don't worry, we do not teach that part back in Parkview Kids. Um, insane, right? So the other thing about Herod is that he had three sons, and do you know what he named his sons? He named them Herod. Herod and Herod. And this, you guys, fun fact for the day, is what reminds me of George Foreman. Did you know that he had five sons? And he named them all, what do you think? George, 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 and George. And he even named his daughter Georgetta. You can look it up if you don't believe me. It's true. But I mean, how full of yourself do you have to be to name all of your kids after you, right? Again, insane. And I tell you this about King Herod because when it comes to his sons, the apples did not fall far from the tree. All three of Herod's sons followed in his father's crazy footsteps. So our story today is about two of those Herods. So Herod another Herod, and a man named John the Baptist. And we're going to hear a little bit more about John later, but what I want you to know is that John was a devoted prophet of God who went around preaching to everyone that Jesus was the one, that he was the Messiah, that he was going to save them from their sins, and he baptized many people in the Jordan River, hence his name, John the Baptist. But the problem happens when John begins to speak out against a couple of Herod's sons specifically because Herod, brother number one, decided that he was going to marry Herod, brother number two's wife. So Herod one married Herod two's wife, and you guys, just to make this more confusing, her name was Herodias. I can't make this stuff up. So none of the Herods liked John very much. They didn't like him speaking out about their family and about their sins. In fact, they were so mad about it that Herod number one had John thrown into prison. Let's jump into Mark chapter 6. So Herodias, who was the wife, married to the two husbands, nursed a grudge against John. She did not like him in their business and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, but yet he liked to listen to him. So uh, Herod's in a weird place here, right? I mean, he, he hates him, he's mad at him, but at the other hand, it says he fears him and respects him and likes to listen to him most of the time. And then let's go um, to John. I mean, John is in this lonely, dark prison cell. And if I were John, my state of mind would be angry, would be confused, would be desperate, would be mad because he did nothing wrong. He did nothing but follow Jesus all his life, and now he is locked in prison. So he decided, I'm just going to reach out and ask Jesus what's up with this. 
In Matthew 11, it says, when John was in prison, he heard about the deeds of the Messiah and sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? And you got to understand how significant that one sentence is. Are you the one who is to come or should, should we be expecting someone else? Because I don't think Jesus would do this to me. John has a lot of interactions with Jesus in the Bible, but the one that stands out to me is when Jesus asked John to baptize him in the Jordan River. So when John baptizes Jesus, he got to physically see the heavens open up and the Holy Spirit descend onto Jesus. And not only that, then he got to audibly hear God thunder from heaven, this is my son who I am well pleased. So with all of that evidence, you would think that John would never have doubted who Jesus was. But you know what? He had doubts. John spent every day telling people that Jesus was the one, that he was the Messiah. He was strong in his faith and fearless when he counseled other people. But when he found himself in a lonely, dark jail cell, doubt crept in. And in a strange way, I don't know about you, but this is kind of comforting to me because I've believed in Jesus all my life too, but there are times that I have doubted God. Like um, back in 2005, I went through a period of anxiety. And I don't just mean the kind of anxiety where you're nervous in your stomach. That's just like a typical Tuesday for me. I am talking about crippling, barely to the point of functioning anxiety. A time when I visited many, many doctors, convinced that I had every disease there was, and spent thousands of dollars on specialists having all kinds of tests. I couldn't be a wife, I could barely take care of my kids, all because I was convinced with every fiber of my being that I was going to die. And no family member, no test, no specialist could convince me otherwise. And I spent hours on my knees in prayer and in my head reading my Bible, but it would not go away. And I was locked in my own prison. And I asked God why he wasn't there. I asked him, why did you abandon me? Because God, you said you never leave us, but you are not here. And that is doubt. Like Todd said, we all have times that we doubt. And the question is, what do we do when that happens? But before I answer that, I want to get back to our passage because John's circumstances is about to get a lot worse. Matthew 14 says, On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guests, and it pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she wanted. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here, on a platter, the head of John the Baptist. I mean, what every little girl wants for a gift, right? Well, the king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted and had John beheaded in the prison. The head was brought into the girl who delivered it to her mother. I mean, this is mother of the year kind of stuff here, right? John's disciples came back, took the body, buried it, and then they went to see Jesus. I mean, you guys. Who says the Bible is boring? I mean, they cut off his head. This is the worst ending to a story ever. It's definitely not a Disney fairy tale with a happy ending. No one lives happily ever after here. And it's not fair, frankly. I mean, John was faithful his entire life. And here he is locked in a lonely, dark prison cell. Have you ever felt like that? 
But the reality is, on this broken earth we live in, sometimes no matter how much you pray and how much faith you have, your circumstances just won't get better, and you might find yourself in a lonely, dark prison cell of doubt. So now let's jump into what do you do when you find yourself there? Well, I think we learn a few things from John. Number one, don't let your doubt move in. And let me tell you what I mean by that. Have you ever had someone come stay at your house, like maybe an out-of-town family member, and you love them and everything, right? But they shake things up when they sleep on your couch and use your bathroom and leave dishes in the sink, and, and after a while, you're just ready for them to leave so things could go back to normal again. Well, it should be like that with doubts. Um, let's learn a little bit from this clip from a really sacred movie. Yeah. So... When did you get the uh, tenement on wheels? Oh, that there, that, uh, that's an RV. Yeah, yeah, I barred it off a buddy of mine. He took my house, I took the RV. <laughs> it's a good-looking vehicle, ain't it? Yeah, it's so nice parked in the driveway. Yeah, it sure does. But don't you go falling in love with it now, because we're taking it with us when we leave here next month. <laughs> you thought it was going to be the chosen, didn't you? Well, anyway, don't let your doubts be Cousin Eddie. Don't let them overstay. They're welcome. They will come. But don't let them take up residence in your heart. John didn't. He could have stewed on those doubts and sat with them and let them grow muscles that grew bigger and bigger and took over his life. But he didn't and was bold enough to go right to Jesus, which brings me to number two. Take your doubts to Jesus. So when John doubted, like I said, he went right to Jesus. He wasn't ashamed. He, he didn't try to keep his doubts a secret. He just came right out and asked him, what is the deal with this, Jesus? I mean, this isn't fair. So are you really the one that you said you were? Because here's the thing. Jesus can handle it. He hears our pleas for help. He's patient with our doubts, and he does not condemn us. He actually wants us to come to him. In fact, when the disciples went to Jesus with that question, Jesus was later preaching to the crowd, and he bragged about John and held him up as an example to others. And he said, truly, I tell you, those born of women, there has risen no one greater than John the Baptist. There is no one greater than John the Baptist. And this was right after he asked Jesus if he really was who he said he was. So this tells me that John's doubt means that I'm free of the shame of admitting my own. We can take our doubts, we can take our questions and our worries to God, we can yell and scream them at him if we need to. He can handle it and he's a safe place. And, you know, we're a safe place here at Parkview, too. I don't have my stuff all together. Todd doesn't have his stuff all together. And we all know Pastor Tim does not have his stuff together. Uh, don't tell him I said that. But anyway, we, are, we love you to come in here with your questions and your thoughts, and no matter where you are in your faith. All right, so we have um, don't let your doubt move in. Take your doubts to Jesus. And my favorite one, look at back at when God showed up. So do you know how Jesus answered that question when the disciples brought them the question for John, are you who you say you are? He could have been mad. I think he had a right to be mad, to be disappointed and say, how dare you doubt me? I am the son of God. But he didn't. And this is my favorite part of the whole story. He says in Matthew 11, 
When John was in prison and heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him. And then Jesus' answer is, um, go back and report to John what you see and hear. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. In other words, look at all that I have done. I've made blind people see, lame people walk, deaf people hear, dead people live. I am Jesus and I am with you, John. I don't know about you, but sometimes I can get caught up in what is going on in my life right now and forget about all the things that God has done in the past. I can let my faith be determined by my current circumstances and what's going on in my life. So the one thing that I have found that helps me when I doubt or question or fear, because when things are going good, it's so easy to have a strong faith. But when I doubt and question or fear, what helps me is to go back and look at what God has done in my past and how he's been faithful to me. Well, I was in a small group here when I started at Parkview, not um, back in 2005, actually, and we were doing this study. And in the study, in the book, it has us make a timeline of our life. So the significant events that happened, and as I looked back at that timeline, I could see how God was faithful and how he was working in everything that happened in my life and how even the bad, hard things that happened, good came out of them and they even prepared me for things that were to come. So when those storms come in my life, and believe me, they do, before I let those doubts become Cousin Eddie and overstay their welcome, I try to make myself look back at God's faithfulness. Because, you know, I talked about that prison of anxiety I was in in um, 2005. And even at the time, I could not feel him. And I didn't think he was there. But now I could see that he was there. He heard my prayers. He heard my cries for help. And he was working through those doctors to get me to the right therapist and the right medication. And you guys, that is the first time I walked in the doors of this church. I walked in in 2005 in anxiety-ridden mess that doubted God, and it has completely changed my life, and I've actually been working here now for almost 17 years. (laughs) So maybe you're in a season of doubt, maybe it's because of a relationship, a diagnosis, finances, a family situation, whatever it is, but you feel like you're in a lonely, dark prison cell. But let me encourage you with this. God hears our pleas for help. He is patient with those doubts, and he does not condemn us. God doesn't always answer with the speed we desire, nor does he always give us the deliverance we hope for. John didn't get that. But he will always, always give us the help that is needed. And his grace will always be sufficient when you trust him through those times of doubt. In John's darkness and pain, he said a promise that helps sustain John's faith, and he will do the same for you. Let's bring Todd back up to finish up. So good, right? So good to be a part of a team and have so many folks around here on all of our campuses who uh, can study and and bring thoughts and insight and, and different reflections uh, that, uh, that maybe myself or Pastor Tim may, may never come to their heart and mind and, and can grow and minister to all of us. Fantastic. And, and today, some of you know those passages that we've been in with John, but it, it is indeed one of the most challenging 
kind of interactions in the Bible. And the challenge that we studied today is not so much the question itself. It's not the challenging question, it's who asked the question, right? I mean, the question was this, that we just looked at it, are you the one that is to come, or should we expect someone else? It's a challenging thing because of who asked the question. If, like Nicodemus, in the Bible, he was the religious leader who came to Jesus in the middle of the night because he was fearful. He was curious about Jesus, but he was a little bit, you know, like, I don't know. And so he came to him at night. Now, if Nicodemus had asked this, we'd have been okay with it. If, if the thief on the cross who was next to Jesus would have said, hey, are you the one that is to come, or should I expect someone else? If the thief on the cross was asking that question, we'd have probably been okay with it. It would have made sense if, if it was even Peter. Some of you know Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends and apostles who was just impulsive and he would do wild, just dumb things a lot of times. Even if Peter had said this, we would have probably said, oh, Peter. But it's John. Like we just learned today in our study, it's John, the one who is saying that Jesus is the one, is wondering if he's the one. The one who was pointing Jesus out, wrestled with doubt. And I hope today, in some way, that God speaks to each and every one of our hearts and our, and our souls, and in some way we have some bit of peace in our heart, whether you're 14 years old or 25 or 35 or 75 or 55, no matter where you are in your faith journey, I hope you have some kind of peace today realizing that, you know what, we're, we're going to have days that are full of faith, and we're also going to have days where doubts creep in. And you may be doing pretty good today and full of faith, but it could be later this week because something that happens or next month or next year that doubt creeps into your life. And here's what we just wanted to communicate as clearly as possible today. A lot of times the faith in our life travels with a little bit of doubt in our lives. And that's okay, just don't let the doubts destroy your faith. Let it deepen your faith. Let it take you closer to God. Again, whether you're a teenager or a young adult, mom or dad, grandparent, don't let it destroy things. Let it take you deeper in your faith with God. A while back, I was listening to a pastor that I know, and he was talking about having a baptism service at his church. You know, we have baptism services around here. We have baptisms coming up here, you know, yet this summer. And the baptism service, you know, is where somebody gets in on any one of our campuses and, and there's usually a pastor that hops down in there and, you know, they kind of plunge them down into the water and in the death and burial and resurrection. And you're picturing with your life what Jesus did with his life and, and then you come up to a new life. And so they're having a baptism service like we have around here. And if you've been baptized, you know that a lot of times the pastor who's standing down there in the water with you, uh, and sometimes maybe it's a friend or parent or something like that as well, but usually the pastor will have you repeat and say something like, I believe, and you say, I believe, and that Jesus is the Christ, that, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Son of the living God, and I accept him, and I accept him as my personal Lord, as my personal Lord, and my Savior, as my Savior, right? And so you repeat it, and then they usually say something like, because you put your faith and trust in Jesus, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
So that's what's going on at this church that I, I was listening to this person I know talk about and they were having a baptism service and one of their newer pastors on staff was doing the baptisms that weekend and they had maybe seven or eight baptisms going on and, and baptisms are exciting, hello? I mean, they just are, it's an exciting time. You can get excitable at baptisms, it's okay, all right? And so he, you know, does the whole thing. I believe, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Son of the living God. And he goes through, and a couple of the baptisms, it's great. But then people start getting excited. This pastor starts getting excited. And just a few baptisms in, he changes things up a little bit and says, I believe, I believe, without a doubt, without a doubt, that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And boom, they're done. I do, I do it again. I believe, I believe, beyond a shadow of a doubt beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is great. And so he goes on, he's getting really excited. The baptisms get done and the lead pastor comes over and says, hey, 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 listen, this, that's not how we do baptisms around here. That is not how we do it. And, and you know, the pastor's like, what? You know, did I, did I not go down far enough? Did, was their hair not get all wet? Did it not count? Do we need to redo them? I'll redo them, you know, kind of. And he said, no, no, listen, 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 listen. You, you don't put people in a place where they're not going to be able to live. I believe without a doubt, I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt, we all are gonna have times in our lives, even as we walk with Jesus, with everything in us, which many of you are, there's still going to be moments when you're like John in our story today and you say, are you the one that is to come or should we expect someone else? And there's gonna be dark days where you're gonna have to walk through, even after you give your life to Jesus and even after you're plunged into him. For some of you younger folks, even as you're trying to metabolize the faith of your parents or the faith of your grandparents, and you're trying to construct it into your own faith, you're gonna have days where you're walking with Jesus and toward Jesus, but there's still all kinds of things that creep into your head. And that pastor said, let's not have them say things that they're not gonna be able to live out. Let's just say that I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God and I accept him as my personal Lord and Savior. Because ultimately, friends, our faith is not in our faith, right? It's in the faithfulness of our God. It's in his perfect track record of faithfulness. That's what we're counting on. It says this in, in Timothy in the Bible. If we're faithless, he remains faithful. No matter what you're going through in your life, no matter if you feel close to him or far away, doesn't matter, he's faithful. He's right there. He can take anything that you have to bring to him. And the story of John reminds us, don't let those doubts that creep into our lives destroy your faith, but let them drive you deeper in your faith of God and his son, Jesus. And I hope that's where we'll all continue to travel this week. Let's pray together today. God, thanks for the opportunity to study, to look at a really interesting section event that happened a long time ago, but still relates so much to us today. God, I pray right now for any person, Orland, Homer Glen, New Lenox, online, anybody who's just kind of has a little bit of doubt that started to creep in or some who are just feel like there is a tidal wave of doubt. God, I pray that you would feel close to them today and that they would realize they can bring it to you and that seasons of doubt can even lead to deeper seasons of faith and trust and life with you. God, thank you for your son. 
who we can walk with and learn from. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone says.